Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Redeemer, my Rock, my Savior, my Lord. Amen. Life isn't as complicated as we make it. How many of you uh, recall the book, All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? You remember that one? Here are some of the rules. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit. Put things back when you've, where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward. But did you notice that we actually have to teach that to the kids? They have to learn that. And they also have to learn that there are consequences when they break those rules. And generally the consequence is that there's some sort of broken relationship with their friends, their classmates, or their teacher. So the teacher does the most loving thing possible, makes you apologize to the other kid in your class, right? And then you're friends again. And, and you've seen kids like, oh, when they're friends again, then they hug each other and they're excited again. It's not that hard, is it? In many ways... In similar ways, that's our relationship with God. It's not that hard. I mean, God gave us some rules, right? We would call those the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before Him. His name is holy. Don't use it as a cuss word. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder or kill other people. Right? Don't. Pretty straightforward. The trouble is, We don't do that, do we? I mean, we don't keep those rules. We don't keep those commandments. And the reason for that is this one little word. And can you guess what that one little word is? Sin. Right. It is sin that complicates everything. You know, there are consequences for sin too, right? Sometimes there's financial consequences. Sometimes there's physical consequences. Oftentimes, there are consequences in a relationship. And sometimes, sin also makes us want to think that we're right and they're just plain wrong. And so we minimize our sin and try to maximize theirs. And we even do that before God. We come before God and say, well, I've sinned, but it's not that bad. You should look, you know that person over there? Look at what they did. And so sin complicates it. But just like in kindergarten, there comes a time when you have to repent to confess your sin and receive forgiveness. So you're restored, not just with the other person, but with God. That's a simple message, right? To confess our sin, to repent and be restored. It's not more complicated than that. And so this morning, if you want the message in one sentence, it is this. Lord, in your mercy, cleanse me, restore me, use me. That's it. It's that simple. Lord, in your mercy, 
Cleanse me, restore me, use me. So let's begin. Lord, in your mercy. And it says this, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone in to Bathsheba. Okay, so what you really need to do is be able to read 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Tells this whole story here. I'm going to give you the cliff note version. David's king, up on the balcony, he sees Bathsheba across the way. And the lust of the flesh overtakes him. And he really wants to meet her. So they meet, they not only meet, but they have an affair and she gets pregnant. Okay? Really, doesn't that sound like the plot that we hear all the time now? We think we've evolved, but we haven't. It's the same plot over and over again. And in this case, she's married. So this is truly an adulterous affair that is David having with Bathsheba. And not only that, Bathsheba's husband is a soldier, and David tells the other commanders, have that guy... All all the soldiers go up to the front line, including her husband, but then everybody else retreat, so he gets killed. So David, in essence, conspired and gave the order to have her husband murdered. That's the story of what happened. So if you're Nathan the prophet, right, how do you come before a king and let him know that he has sinned greatly? Well, Nathan comes before him, and he tells, the, tells him this story about a rich man and a poor man. The poor man had a family and had a lamb. And the lamb was beloved. It was almost more like a pet. But then the rich man took that lamb. Now, David thought this was a true story, and he gets enraged. It says this, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are that man. And David realized he wasn't talking about a story. It was about him and what he had done with Bathsheba and her husband. And he was struck to the heart. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So that's the condensed version, right? He was struck to the heart. This was more than just regret. This was remorse. And there's a difference between regret and remorse. Regret is when you feel sad or bad or disappointed about something. If you speed and get caught and get a ticket, you regret that, right? Most people don't have remorse over it, but they regret it. Remorse is a difference of degree. Merriam-Webster Dictionary says, A gnawing distress arising from a sense of guilt for past wrongs. This is something that really just as in your gut, in your soul, it clouds you. This is kind of what you look like when there is remorse. And there is shame, there is guilt. And it just 
follows you around and you can't get rid of it. How many people like feeling like that? Anybody? Any? If you do, my office down there, we can meet afterwards. But most people will do anything possible, right, to not feel this way. And so we rationalize, we diminish the effects of sin. We just want to put it out of our mind. But does it ever really go away? Doesn't, does it? It's there. It haunts you for years. There was a young fellow. uh, He was in his 20s. Came to me one time. And he had said something as a kid that wasn't appropriate and was against God. He said it as a kid. He was literally just overcome by remorse over what he had did, what he did. But it was brought to light, and because it was brought to light, there was a possibility of forgiveness, right? You see, Nathan brought up sin to David, a very powerful man, a dangerous thing to do to bring up sin to a king. But what Nathan did was the most loving thing he could do, which is to bring up the sin. You see, when sin is brought into the light of day, there's the possibility of repentance that leads to restoration. There's a reason why I chose this particular picture, because it's of a prison, right? When sin is kept away, it's like there is a prison. There's part of you that has certainly died, either in relationships, financially, physically. All all of that could be. But when it's kept away, locked up, it does you no good. It is actually harmful to you. And this is why we talk about sin. Not to pound things, not just to make you feel bad. And by the way, there are some pastors and churches do that, right? It's just all hell and fire and brimstone. And they pound you down and just make you feel guilty. But on the other side, there are churches that don't don't even talk about sin because It makes people feel uncomfortable. And that's a disservice as well. Because if you do not talk about sin because it makes people feel uncomfortable, you have left them in prison. You have left yourself in prison. And there is no gospel there. There is no possibility of repentance or forgiveness. So Nathan did a very loving thing. We would call this tough love, wouldn't we? This is called tough love. You bring the law forth so that there is repentance and forgiveness. But you do it because of love, right? So yesterday um, at Desert Manor, I volunteered and Pastor Dan uh, teaches English as a second language uh, at 930 Now, before that time, he goes car to car to car and talks to people and prays with them. 
And uh, so at 9.30, I did that because he was busy. And there was a, a young single mom. And uh, I asked if there was something to pray for her. And uh, a teenage child of hers uh, had done something wrong. I'm not going to go into it. But this mom was at a loss uh, and, and did appropriate things, grounded, <laughs> grounded the child, right? Took away the cell phone, all the privileges, all of that. But she said, I don't know what else to do. And I said, well, you're doing it because you love your child, right? And she went, yeah, I, I do. And I said, remind your child that you're doing it out of love, not just to pound them down. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as a church body, this is what we to do. We are to do. We are to speak the truth in love. Paul did this to the church in Corinth. I mean, that church was one messed up church. He wrote two letters. The first letter was really harsh, and it was appropriately harsh because they were doing bad stuff. And then in the second letter, though, he writes this. He writes, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. When you are grieving just about the things of this world, it's mostly regret mixed in there, not true remorse. And that just leads to a prison where there is death. But godly grief, coming to God before God and saying, I have sinned before you, God, leads to salvation, leads to eternal life. So David, David is struck to the heart and comes before God and asks for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He humbles himself before God and he says, remember your covenant, God. Remember your compassion, your mercy, your steadfast love for me, your unfailing love, and have mercy. Lord, in your mercy, cleanse me. And this is what he prays. I'm going to read verses 2 through 9. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, 
and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. He is coming before the Lord to be cleansed. So let let me ask you this. Have you ever had a stain in your clothing that did not come out? See, one time, back in Minnesota, I uh, was doing some stuff, and I put a permanent magic marker in my back pocket, my jeans. You know what? It's permanent. You know, those, all of a sudden, those pants really became just work pants. And it goes down to the skin even, right? And it stays. And no matter what you do with a permanent marker like that, you scrub it, you bleach it, you all, it just does not come out. Sin is just like that. Sin is like that. It stains us through and through. And we're born that way. Sinners from the beginning. David even talks about this. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. So he's not saying, I came out, I was pretty good, and then I went off the rails. He's saying, no, from the moment I was a sinner who needed your grace. And that's a hard part because most people say, I'm a good person, right? You always hear that on the news. Somebody shot so-and-so. I know they shot so-and-so, but they're a good person. Really? How does that figure in? I don't get that. So we sin through and through, and we do it in so many different ways. And you might say, well, I haven't murdered somebody, but Jesus would say, well, have you been angry in your heart against someone? That would be the same as murder. So, it is sin that mars us from the very beginning. Paul wrote about this in Romans. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Here's the thing. I talked about this a little earlier. We want to justify our sin. We want to say it's not so bad. We want to use a sliding scale, right? I'm not so bad. They're worse. Okay, maybe worse, I guess, down there. You know, but we want to use that sliding scale with other people, and somehow we just think, well, God is just going to forget it. He's just going to look it over. That sin really doesn't matter to him. But what David realized is that he had truly sinned against God. And the point you have to understand here is this. We want to justify our actions rather than admit that we have done evil against God, but every sin is against God. Every sin against the Holy One, creator of the universe, the one in whose image you are made against Christ Jesus, the great I am. So David says this. He says in verse 4, against you, 
You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David says, I should be judged because I have sinned against you. But he pleads to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord, paraphrasing, purge me, wash me, cleanse me. You can make me clean. I will be whiter than snow. And David knows this, and you need to know this too. No matter how great your sin, all of the remorse that you've been carrying around for years, no matter how great that is, God's mercy and grace is greater. And you can be forgiven. You can be washed clean. So how are we washed clean? We are washed clean through the blood of Jesus. His blood washes away all of our sin. He died for that remorse that you have this very day. And when you confess that, you really are forgiven in Christ Jesus because His blood paid the price. We're going to sing at the very end, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In the blood of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Every week we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Listen to the words this week. Because it's the proclamation of the gospel, the forgiveness of sin. So the prayer is very simple. Purge me, wash me, cleanse me. You could make me clean. It could be like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned against you and you alone. I come before you, I lay all of my, my sin, my guilt before you, before the cross. And I know that you have promised forgiveness in that. And I bring all of the remorseful things that I have done all before you. Wash me, cleanse me, purge me, forgive me, restore me. And this is the next part. It is restore me. It says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Yes, we have said these words a couple times. We even sang them. It's very familiar. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Notice what David does not say. He doesn't say, hey, God, will you please improve my heart? Will you please just fix me up a little bit, brush me off? Listen, it is not about self-improvement. It is about a new life. Christianity is not a faith of self-improvement, nor is the Bible about self-improvement. It is about going from the old nature to a truly new nature. 
a new person. So when he talks about a new heart, it's talking about an entirely new being in Christ Jesus. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's the cry, right? Look, I don't want to just be brushed up a little bit. I want to be new, made new, a new identity, a new life in Christ Jesus. I don't want Jesus as a life coach. He's my Lord and Savior. Creating me a clean heart, O oh God. That's the cry. And when you are born again in Christ Jesus, you are made new. Second Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you know, the end result of all this, of being born again, of being restored, of being made new, it's in our name. What is it? Joy. This is why we also sang, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. There is joy. Verse 13 through 17. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness. Guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in the sacrifices, or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of, of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. I want to spend a little bit of time, briefly, just on verses 16 and 17, and then end with 13 and 14, the the joy of it here. So, it says this, For I will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So I'm going to put this really simply, right? This is kind of the theme today. It's simple. God is not looking for people to simply go through the motions. That's what those verses are really getting at. God is not looking, not, not looking for people to simply go through the motions. Those are empty sacrifices. Well, you might say, hold on, but we're not in Israel. We don't do sacrifices anymore. Well, let me tell you how this would play out. You come to church, you stand, you sit, you recite, you sing, take communion, give an offering, go home, watch the football game. Right? You've done it. Your mouth moved at the right time, but it was just all empty, just going through the motions. That would be like the Israelites going to the temple, offering a sacrifice, giving an offering, and then going home and watching their version of football. Kind of empty, right? But that's not what God is looking for, is it? He's looking for a heart that comes humbly before him, that seeks his face, that has a living faith in him. Not just empty sacrifices. You see, when you have a living faith, there's joy, right? 
There is joy in the Lord. It says this, David wrote, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Dave, David is effusive here. He's saying, in that restoration, I will then teach others. I will sing of your praises. I will declare of your, your majesty. And that's what happens, right? Remember the kindergartens when they're friends again? There's that joy of the salvation. There's, and then you tell them about, he's my best friend. Do you ever see the videos where they run down the street, they see each other, ah, and they run and they hug each other and they sing aloud the praises of their best friend when we are restored in Christ Jesus. There's joy. And you sing the praises. You tell other people. Now you might be saying, well, how can I tell other people? Look, the woman at the well, John chapter 4, Gospel of John chapter 4, the woman at the well realized who Jesus was. Did she have? She, did she go to any seminary, any other training? No, she didn't. She just went back and said, come and see. You've got to come see this guy. That's what the woman of the well did. She sang his praises, even though he had pointed out her sin. She sang his praises. That's the joy. That's the joy of being restored with God the Father through Christ Jesus the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. So here it is. If there is sin in your life, and it could be remorse from a long time ago, don't try to hide it from God, because <laughs> you can't. Bring it before Him. And then pray this prayer. Lord, in your mercy, cleanse me, restore me, use me. Amen.